Welcome to the Flow Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Bowen, and I'm thrilled to have you join us today. Together with my co-host, Joe Stewart, we speak with extraordinary movers, thinkers, and teachers and discover how they find their flow and much, much more. But before we dive in, we want to take a moment to acknowledge and honour the traditional owners of the unceded land where this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our deepest respects to the elders both past and present and acknowledge the emerging leaders within their community. Today, we're speaking with Chloe Prendergast. Chloe is a coach and creative who is passionate about everyone having access to the practical tools of personal empowerment and authentic professional success. She sees her work as an art form and people as her medium and is ultimately driven by the goal of helping everyone live a life of embodied magic and wonder. Chloe has been working in the positive change industry for 20 years and over this time has observed many changes and realities below the surface. This is one aspect we're excited to speak with her about as there are a lot of parallels with the yoga industry. Chloe also works in events and runs many herself, which we'll get into, as well as providing some insights into planning and promoting a successful event or workshop. We also cover how to stay inspired and manage your energy as a small business owner. Now let's get into our conversation with Chloe. All right, Chloe, thank you so much for meeting with us today. It's great to get the chance to speak with you once again. So perhaps you could just start by telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Cool, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm Australian. I'm from Melbourne. I grew up down the Bayside area. So lots of going to the beach, lots of barbecues and picnics, very kind of like normal middle class family life. Awesome. And so what inspired you to start coaching? Well, it's pretty interesting because I never really planned to be a coach. It's something that kind of came to me or happened to me. Well, not really happened to me, but came to me. So yeah, at a young age, I was like seeing child psychologists. And then in my 20s, I kind of explored alternative therapies and got into crystals and yoga and all that kind of like hippie stuff. And then in my late 20s, I was living with a friend and she had gone to this weekend event and she'd come home and said, you should be a life coach. (laughs) And I was like, what's a life coach? And so we kind of unpacked it. And this was like, you know, more than 15 years ago. So it wasn't really something that was in the vernacular. People didn't really know what it meant. Like Anthony Robbins was around and kind of mainstream personal development was around, but people still didn't really know what a coach was. So that kind of set me on my path to, oh, maybe this is something that I want to do. And so for people who still don't really know what a coach is, <laughs> like what does it mean to you? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a good question and one that I continue to ask myself. Yeah, so it's a really broad term these days. So it can be anything from really practical action-based mentoring to uh, really deep healing and emotional work. So I like to think of it in terms of really a a great well-rounded coach who could be considered a therapist or a mentor or a teacher or 
an inspirational figure really should cover these kind of like four aspects, which is they're inspiring, they're able to inspire you, which means like, you know, create the desire to change. They're able to educate you, so teach you something new, show you a better way. They can empower you, so they show you how to take action. Like it's not just all an internal experience and they can support you. So they can hold you through the hard stuff. They can help you heal your emotions or try and shift things that are internal. And so like, what's that looking like for you at the moment? Like, have you got any events coming up or, you know, like what's your business look like these days? Yeah. So I'm always growing and expanding the ways that I work with people. So when I started, it was very much on that education and support side. So a lot of really deep emotional work. And now I'm much more interested and excited in the inspiration and the empowerment. So I really want to help people create better lives, like people who've done the inner work, but maybe their outer life is a bit of a mess and doesn't match. So I've developed this life design program called Treasure. So we cover off the four essential elements in life, which is time, money, vitality, and love. So that's the big thing that I'm working on at the moment. And then I have a little event called Love Club coming up, which is my singles event. So that obviously speaks to the love part. That's the the essential element. And it's something that I want to experience myself as well. Like I've seen a lot of the singles events out there and they're not really very inspiring. They're not very educational. They're not very empowering and there's not a lot of support. So wanting to bring all those elements into a a singles event. So this is a side question Uh and I have never been on dating apps because it wasn't a thing last time I was single. But From what I've seen online, and especially what I've seen in the Bad Dates of Melbourne um, Instagram feed, like it kind of seems like dating culture can be really disposable in Mm. lots of ways. Like there's just so many people who kind of get ghosted or kind of dismissed over really like trivial reasons. And I get that you shouldn't have to put your time and energy into a relationship or a connection to someone that you actually don't feel a connection to, but it seems like super harsh Mm. as well. Like, is this a little bit of a response to like some of the more toxic aspects of modern day dating culture or more just like, oh, this is what I want to see in the world? Like, Yeah. I mean, I think what you're speaking to is really our modern world in general, Like it's a lot faster, it's very disposable, our social media is like these tiny little clips and all this bite-sized information and everything. Like I've coined this, I don't know if I coined it, but I'm going to say that I did, Um, this phrase like dirty dopamine. So it's kind of like getting these like quick hits of things, but it's not really nourishing or fulfilling or lasting. Yeah, and I think the dating culture is part of that or yeah the dating culture reflects that yeah so my approach is very different and I think that's why I've talked about the fact that I'm not your typical capitalist coach because I'm not out there like trying to crunch the numbers and make the dollars like I really want people to have a holistic deep lasting nourishing experience and yeah so that's what I want to provide for myself and others in the dating space. 
So this is a bit of a question about the like more shadowy realms of, <laughs> I guess, how a lot of coaches present themselves online versus in real life, because it seems like a lot of what coaching is about, and this is something that I see in the yoga world as well, it's like tools to be real with yourself, but at the same time, often people present a very aspirational view of themselves mm. online because it's almost like they are selling themselves. It's like, oh, you want to be like me? I've got it all together. Like, buy my program. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Cool. Okay. Yes. <sighs> so I think the aspirational piece is important because like coaches are a personal brand, like you are kind of buying to work with that person. And I feel like it did used to be a lot more authentic and a lot more vulnerable. And that was really what drew people in. And now because particularly Instagram, I'm going to speak to Instagram specifically, because I feel like that's where my personal block is, is that it's so curated now and it's much more like a magazine experience. And then you've got the reels as well. So you've got people who are kind of presenting as coaches, but really they're just incredible content creators and they're creating like mini movies. And then, yeah, you get behind the scenes of working with them and potentially they don't, like the goods don't match up. So yeah, I think the best, the best, but the kind of leaders and coaches and teachers that I resonate with are really well-rounded. So they are inspiring. I feel like I'm going to cover these four points a lot, <laughs> but they are inspiring. They do teach, they do empower, and they do support. And I think you have to be able to, yeah, do all of it. And I think it's just about the marketplace becoming more informed and yeah, getting out of that kind of like dodgy salesman space. And I get that people are there to work on their stuff. So it's not super professional if you, like say for me as a yoga teacher, if I just like launch into the class by having a bit of a rant about everything that went wrong in my afternoon before the <laughs> class, like that level of reality is not necessarily helpful to other people. Yeah. So there's definitely a balance of guess being professional but also being authentic yeah yeah and I think that's the difference between like you showing up and delivering your service which is you being a yoga teacher or me being a coach versus like the marketing of the service because yeah I'm not gonna show up to a coaching session and like just drop all my stuff or an event or any kind of facilitation you know I'm there to be the guide, be the leader, be the shining light. And yeah, I think the, the marketing space is just, it's just still really murky and confusing and there's a lot going on. Yeah, some people do just like show up in there bright and shiny and then it's not a full, complete picture of who they are. And I guess how do you make that decision of what to and what not to share? Mm, okay, yeah, that's a great question. So... I guess because I've been online kind of sharing my journey for about 10 years now and in the beginning there was a lot of vulnerable sharing. There was a lot of like long posts and this is everything that's going on with me and I'm swearing and I'm talking about my family and, you know, and I think it's a very cathartic phase to go through and it just seems to be part of the the growth of the journey. But now when I share, 
And again, the social media space has completely changed and it's all about, you know, reels and Instagram and TikTok and, you know, no one wants to read. I mean, I don't even know how many characters that is, but no one wants to read those big, long kind of like personal manifestos anymore. So now when I do share something that is emotional or vulnerable, I wait until I have kind of finished my own process so it feels complete with me. So I'm not sharing from that place of like emotional charge. And yeah, and then I feel like it's more like a parable, like I'm sharing like a life story or a life lesson rather than like, I'm just sharing my feelings. <laughs> no, that's that's really nice. And I guess it sort of gels what I'm slowly learning as well as that. Um, I guess people love a story and mm. people really engage with stories. So yeah, no, that's that's really useful. Yeah. There's a phrase that I learned in trauma-informed yoga teaching, which is share from the scars, not the wounds. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. also if you're doing that very raw unpacking and sharing, especially if it's in person, like you don't know what someone was dealing with before they showed yeah. up. Like maybe they're already supporting a lot of vulnerable people in their lives or maybe they've got their own emotional load. And yeah. Yeah, they don't need yours <laughs> as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like this speaks to like one one of the shadows of the healing therapy positive change space is if you're showing up in that role, you really need to make sure that you've got people and places that are supporting you. So you are doing your work kind of off the stage. You know, you're not processing your stuff like out on Facebook or in these public spaces, like you're able to have your own safe containers to do your own work so that when you kind of show back up for your people, it's integrated and complete. And so what does that look like? For me, yeah, so I have like my own therapist. I have like trusted friends that I can speak to who are kind of in similar places and understand similar values. I continue to like grow my skill set and the way that I work in myself yeah, and, and even just simple things like having places in my life where I can just really let go and be myself and not be a coach or be a therapist or be a leader or be an expert. Like that's why I love going to dance class because someone else is the teacher and I can just be as like loose and floppy as I want and I have a really like nourishing experience and then I feel restored and I can go back into my life and be like, cool, okay, I can be the boss again. And I guess that's a real body experience. So just moving your body gets yeah. the endorphins going and yeah. you know you'll feel good at the end of the yeah. session, but it's not something that's coming from your brain and your creativity yeah. as much. So yeah. if you're feeling a bit depleted in those areas, you can still show up and yeah. move and feel better. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I guess this is also kind of a question about feeling good and it might even come back to the whole idea of sharing authentically, but kind of taking we'll care of yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess the only times I actually really feel excited about doing online marketing is when I'm already feeling good. Like when I'm excited about something, it's easy to share or, you know, when something good has happened, it's easy to share. And I think in every business, there are places where it just feels like there's not a lot of momentum and you might not be feeling a lot of energy and you know, like if your business is you, that you are the one who has to get things rolling again. And often that is putting in that effort to share online. Do you have any tips or strategies to kind of help yourself feel a bit more motivated to kind of get that momentum rolling again? Mm, yeah, cool. So I feel like for me, 
what I what really works for me and what I like to remember is that when I'm excited about something, it's really easy to market it. And marketing really is just talking about things that you're excited about. And when I think of my business in terms of projects, so this is the thing that's coming up and this is what I'm excited about and this is what I'm going to share about, then that kind of builds the momentum in itself. And then when that particular project drops off, I actually have a bit of space. So I kind of work my business in waves, which is not the same as, say, having a yoga studio where you have like classes every week, no matter what. So you've got to keep that energy moving. Yeah. And I just, so so if I was in that situation, and obviously I am from time to time, I actually just kind of tap out. Like, I'm like, you know what? I need to just go for a hike or I need to go for a drive or I need to go sailing or I need to like hang out with friends who don't care about all this like serious spiritual stuff. Like I, I actually have like a, a an internal reset and I get my motivation from somewhere else and my energy and then I bring that back into my work and my business. It's a really good strategy because often those posts that you make yourself do when you're not inspired about it don't really hit anyway. No, because there's no life force. There's no inspiration. There's no like energy in it. Yeah. I guess how do you keep your spirits up when business is not going so well? Yeah, well, I feel like what I said, that I just go... Do something else. I just go do something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's a really classic NLP principle to just like break state yeah. and and go and like reset your energy. And like I don't think we're meant to function in this like constant forward momentum. Like we are cyclic and particularly if you're running your own business or you're a creative entrepreneur or you're kind of like in charge of your own world and your own life, you need the like light and the shade. I mean, this is why in a way people love nine to five because it's like, okay, on Monday I do this, on Tuesday I do this, and it's okay because on Friday I can go out and party with my friends. Like like there's something really nice for the nervous system when you know that that's what's happening. And so I try to build that out for myself as well. Like on this day I do this, on Sundays I get to look forward to that. Yeah, so it's more about I think to answer your question, it's about having like structure and routine so that my energy can work with the structure that I'm creating rather than like, oh, now my energy's dropped and I don't want to do anything. Did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that was great. That was great. I've got another question. It's kind of random and not on our list. Great. I love (laughs) random. But I I guess like in in the world of coaching or anywhere really, who who is inspiring you at the moment? Mm. It's such a great question. I think I said that every time you ask me a question. Oh, it's very good. It just makes me, feel good. Yeah. makes me feel good about my questions. All so. the questions. I mean, all questions are valid. <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing a lot of podcasting, like listening to a lot of podcasts at the moment, and I'm really into people who aren't necessarily in the coaching space, but they still have that kind of like life view or philosophy. And I'm a kid of the 80s. I grew up watching movies. I grew up watching TV. So I really love, and I'm a storyteller. I love stories. So I'm really into kind of like Hollywood, not Hollywood, but yeah, I'm into movies and TV and that sort of culture. So I like Armchair Experts, which is Dax Shepard. And he, yeah, like he's a Hollywood guy. He's married to Kristen Kristen Bell. Bell. Thank you. 
but he's like really obsessed with his childhood and he's really obsessed with like unpacking other people's childhood as a road to success. And so he interviews like incredibly famous people who are really interesting and yeah, so I get I really enjoy hearing people's backstories and hearing their motivation and and hearing how they got to where they got to. And often you discover that someone who's like hyper successful is actually driven by some quite unhealthy things. And so then there's this sense of like, oh, okay, well, I'm not a millionaire and I don't have an ocean yacht or whatever. I don't have these typical trappings of a successful life, but internally I'm really solid. So it's nice to to have that reference point. Um, yeah, so I like listening to him. Who else? That's my go-to at the moment. Yeah, nice. No, so I'm, I'm actually on a similar, I guess, kind of vein. I'm into that Neil Brennan Blocks podcast, and he's he's a comedian, and he talks to other comedians, some of whom are very famous and successful, and talks about their kind of psychological blocks and yeah, it's quite, it's really interesting because a lot of them do seem to be driven by kind of deep wells of insecurity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and that's really interesting. And, and some of them even come across as being, you know, by their own admission, quite craven in certain mm-hmm. ways, kind, and kind of petty. So it's quite, it's really interesting to, to, see that world and yeah, see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I love about. So I was reflecting on this recently that I feel like the podcast space has become the new social media in the sense that like when Facebook and Instagram really started, there was so much vulnerability and so much authenticity and so much sharing. And and then it kind of got really curated and it is what it is today. And that's great. But I feel like the podcasts are really this new space where people just like reveal themselves and you get like these amazing stories from people's lives and yeah their motivations and yeah it's incredible it's incredible to see how people get got to where they got rather than just reading in Vanity Fair or Vogue magazine the polished version yeah Mm. the times or you know whatever their publicist wants the world to know about them I'm going to add my own current podcast fave to that list. And uh, it's called Bad Dates by Jamila Jamel. And it's usually comedians (sighs) and friends of hers, like just telling their worst date stories. And it's like hilarious. But it's very heartfelt as well, because Mm -hmm. often it is like, oh, I was really ashamed that I did this for so long. And like, it's kind of this shared (laughs) unpacking of like that crazy random thing that happened in your life. And it's great. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's great really to encouraging. do a strength workout too. <laughs> <laughs> I do my housework. Nice. Nice. <laughs> or if I have to go on long drives, I'm like, cool, this podcast goes for two hours. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the full emotional journey on the podcast and I'll get to my physical destination. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I know that you also work in events and you've been pretty outspoken about the reality and the benefits of having like a secondary income when you're trying to do your own, I don't want to use the word side hustle, but when you're trying to launch a project of your own. And I've got to say that is something that I often see glossed over Mm. in the world of abundance coaching. And it's almost seen as a failure to still have a day job, whereas actually it can often be pretty helpful and a part of reality. Do you want to share your thoughts? Yeah. So I struggled with this for a long time. Like I felt a lot of shame around 
like like I I knew I knew and I know that I'm an incredible coach because you know I have like hundreds of people I've worked with who have better lives and who you know I'm grateful and that they tell me that they have these amazing experiences and and the evidence is there you know like someone's suicidal and then they're not or someone's on like medication and then they're not or someone's single and then you know like like the evidence is there but my business didn't reflect that and so for a long time like for a long time I was like surely you just have to be good at the thing and then you are good at business you know and and then I had to learn oh they're actually two entirely different skill sets being great at business and being great at like transformational positive change it's like two totally different things so what really helped me like change gear or turn the corner was I started to see my coaching as like an art form and started to view myself as an artist or a creative. And, you know, like you don't judge someone who's an actor who's also waiting tables. Like it's just part of the game. And, you know, painters or really anyone who classifies themselves as an artist a musician, like it's just so normal and accepted to have financial support because you need to be able to pay your rent and buy food and just feel safe in your nervous system, feel relaxed. Yeah. And and some people are really lucky and maybe they have a partner who supports them or maybe someone dies, which isn't lucky in itself, but if they leave you some money, then great. Or some other windfall, you know, like people need to be supported in some kind of way if they're going to grow a business and, you know, put their life force and their creativity out into the world. And so, yeah, so basically the short answer is like, I think it's amazing and it's important. And there's so many more people doing it than we think. And this, I guess, loops back to the question around like, oh, everyone's online and they're being so shiny and inspirational and look at me on my laptop in my bikini in Bali. But, you know, like maybe their boyfriend paid their rent that month or maybe their parents have funded something or, you know, maybe they get government support or, yeah, like maybe they worked really hard in the (laughs) – I heard this story recently of someone who was like, yeah, I just worked in the mines for six months and now I can like travel and have my beautiful inspirational life for six months. Like we don't know what's going on behind the scenes unless people tell us. So I guess one of the things I'm really passionate about is just being honest about all of it. Yeah. Someone who I watch her YouTube videos and she's kind of like a van lifer and now mm. builds a cottage. Van life. A of, I want a van life. <laughs> well, a lot of people asked her how she afforded it and she's like, oh, I sell my eggs. Wow. Yes. Oh, my God. I fully missed the window on that one. I would have <laughs> sold my eggs. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's an America only thing. <laughs> wow. It yeah. is an America thing. Yeah, you're right. They wouldn't do that here. Yeah, no, I actually think it's illegal to sell your eggs in Australia. I think it can only be a, like, um, altruistic thing. There's a lot of people who go to Asia to do it. Wow. Wow. There's a whole whole side hustle here I hadn't Mm. even considered. (laughs) (laughs) No shame on anyone who sells their eggs, whatever you need to do. No, no, no. I mean, she's helping people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I guess how do you know when it's time to really just concentrate on on that? you know, quotation marks, side hustle Uh or go all in? (sighs) Like I don't really know the answer to that question because for me it has been, you know, it's like riding the waves, like it's forever been a riding of the wave and sometimes, 
you know, I can make all my money through coaching or coaching related projects and collaborations. And sometimes I'm not in the industry at all and I'm, you know, working full time in events. So I think, hmm, I think it's just about trusting yourself and trusting your path and really trying to block out the noise of what everyone else is doing or where you think you should be on your journey because what does success even look like or mean anyway like is having is going all in success but what if it like smashes your nervous system and mm. and and then you have to like call a friend or your parents for money like you know it's like what does success really look like and what is going all in really look like and what's the outcome that you want from that no, that was a long-winded answer. No, no, that, that makes sense. Would you like to do some yoga with Joe or myself? Of course you would. That's why I'm excited to let you know that we're now offering lifetime access to our online video library. We have over 240 chair yoga, aerial yoga, nurturing yoga and Pilates, yin yoga, gentle yoga and self-massage class videos for the early bird price of just $89. Previously, these videos were only available to our monthly members, but we know the subscription model doesn't always work for everyone, so we're excited to be able to share it in this way. Just like our live classes, our videos all include multiple options so that you can practice in the way that feels right for you. We also include options to improvise props if you're practicing at home. We've been getting some great feedback about these classes. You can check them out in the library section of gardenofyoga.com.au and there's even a few free samples there to get you started. Yeah, so I guess this is just swinging back to financial realities. Like another thing that I see, I see this in the yoga world and I think I see it even more in the coaching world where sometimes trainings are offered with a lifestyle promise. Like do this training, you'll have this financial freedom, you'll get to like do what you love and never work in a day of your life. And a lot of the time there actually isn't a pathway from doing that kind of a training to an actual job. So I guess in a good training, part of it is also training you how to generate your own work and to find those opportunities mm. and maybe create them if they don't already exist. But a lot of people are kind of feeling like they're left a bit high and dry where you've invested money in this education and some of it is working on yourself, but also there was a promise of a career afterwards. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. Mm, yeah, cool. I feel like I have so much to say about this. I could do like a whole podcast series. <laughs> um, yeah, so so when I firstly officially trained as a life coach, I'd already done like a lot of my own personal work and I'd kind of dabbled in different courses and different modalities. And so I had a level of my own experience, but this was the first time I was like, cool, I'm going to study life coaching after, you know, the, the story I shared earlier. And it was absolutely part of what made me say yes was because there their branding was all around like make a quarter of a million dollars in your first year as a coach. And this was 15 years ago. And I was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and it took me, it, it actually didn't take me long. Like within the first year, I was like, oh my God, they're just selling from the stage and I have to be really careful. So yeah, I learned to be quite cynical about that style of marketing and those promises very early on but I know it continues on today. 
So yeah, I think what's important is so the journey, which is another modality that I'm trained in and I actually worked in their business for quite a few years. And they came, they come from more of a yogic philosophy and standpoint. And it's it's a really deep emotional transformational process that takes a couple of hours. And you know, you train as a practitioner, but then you have to do like a hundred hours of of sessions. And so you have to do all this work to really prove that you can do the skill. And then there's, yeah, there's a network of currently working practitioners that you can like apprentice under. So there's kind of like a network already out there. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not actually answering your question directly. I think people just need to learn that like, just because you train in a modality doesn't equal a job unless you're in some kind of industry like a physio or something where you can go and work in a clinic. Yeah, you still have to get your own clients and you still have to build a business. Yeah, I think it's just about honesty in the industry, really, rather than puffed out promises. Yeah. Yeah, the the place that I worked for, sorry, the place where I trained, they all were, they, their market was mostly corporates. And this is something I've been reflecting on as a lot recently is price points like it's really easy to set a high price point if you've come from a corporate space and you and everyone you know is on 300k a year you know you it would be really easy to be like hey I'm trying out this new thing and you know it's $500 and they're like oh cool that's what I usually spend on Friday lunch you know so it's all about the reality of where someone's at when they start to do the thing Whereas if you have someone who's like straight out of high school or maybe they've only ever had a kind of low wage job, like it's going to be a real journey to get to that price point. Or if the population that you're working with will never have $500 to do a transformational workshop. Yeah, you've got to like journey through the markets. Yeah. And so say you've done a training like that and it hasn't led to any work Do you have any insights into maybe parlaying some of the skills that you've learned into other industries where maybe it is a bit easier to find a job Mm. versus creating all of your own opportunities? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think any sort of transformational work that you do is going to have value out in the world and any other job that you go into. So, I mean, it's essentially sort of soft skills. So any kind of manager role, any kind of leadership role, and any kind of industry that you're interested in. Like, I think it's important for people to remember, like, oh, I'm going to be doing this thing like three to five days a week for the rest of my adult life. Like, why don't I choose an area that I like to be in, like an industry that I like to be in? Yeah. And that's why I also say like, I feel like in a way coaching will die out eventually because they'll just start teaching these things in school, like emotional intelligence, mindset training, how to take inspired action, you know, how to be present and and support each other. Like imagine if they taught all that in school, like there would be no coaches. (laughs) Well, you know, we'll still have like late stage capitalism and global collapse to deal with. So you'll probably also need some support. Well, I'm forever the optimist. (laughs) And I feel like, you know, these problems aren't exclusive to life coaching. I mean, you know, surely in the in the yoga world. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Many many studios are teaching courses that this simply aren't 
enough jobs to yeah, yeah. like yeah. maybe yeah. one person who does that course can end up teaching at that student yeah. group yeah yeah same thing in in software development courses yeah mm. a lot of people perhaps doing trainings there won't even cover what you need to to know in the in the real world and yeah mm. yeah that's really interesting and I guess maybe this is something to look for like when you're choosing a training like if you know that you'll need to use this for work like make sure mm. that that is actually covered in the training like not just making a mood board but like what are the steps to yeah. take it into reality yeah yeah and just the understanding that you're still going to have to have an entrepreneurial spirit you're still going to have to like you're essentially a freelancer or a contractor. Like it's it's realizing that you're still going to have to show up and kind of create your own business, create your own world, unless yeah, you do some kind of yoga training where you then go get to go teach in the studio. Like how amazing! Oh, you would never get a full time teaching amount of classes yeah. in that studio you did yeah. your training at when you finished the training though. Like yeah. yeah, you would need to have another job while you build yeah. your way up to that. Yeah, and then for some people as well the amount of classes that you need to teach for it to be your sole income is mm. just too many and yeah. you'll stop loving it and you'll just feel burnt out. Yeah. And, you know, like there's there's success, very successful coaches I know, and yes, they might have a program or be doing something online and, and they're making money, but they still have like investments or supplementary income. Like, yeah, it's... It's an interesting question. Or they have a really enormous machine behind them, a sales and marketing machine. So this is taking us right into making our own opportunities. I'd really like to pick your brain on workshops and events. So say I've had an idea, like what's the first step? Yeah, so I mean, I guess the way that I work is very intuitive and I run things or I create things like when I get the idea. So it's about giving it some form and some function and it's about who it's for because I'm so kind of like people and community driven. A lot of the times I design a workshop or an event around who it's for and map it out that way. So what does that look like? Like you kind of write a list or you like... Yeah. I feel like I can't answer this like series of questions. Yeah. <laughs> but literally what do you do when you first have an idea? Like do yeah. you start posting about it first or do you kind of make a page or Yeah, I usually make like a Canva banner. So I make a Canva banner for a Facebook event. I talk to people about it to see if there's any energy or interest. Yeah. So I guess I have the idea and I sit on it for a while. And I talk to like trusted people. I don't talk to someone who's going to be like, that's stupid. But yeah, I kind of like float the idea with a few different people. Yeah. Then I might make, um, yeah, like a Canva banner and then very intuitively I will just post it when I feel like I'm ready. I mean, and you need a venue. Yeah. So the thing about events is like, it's all about the venue because it's always going to be your highest cost. And yeah, until you find a venue that you feel comfortable investing in, yeah, I wouldn't really progress with anything ever. And so you generally have to pay a deposit, right, once you've chosen your venue? No, not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. And so you kind of pick it on like, okay, I feel like this is something that I could easily, I know 10 people will probably come to this, so this is the size venue that I need, or this is 
how much money I want to make from this for it to feel viable. So this means I need this many people or how do you kind of navigate that side of things? Yeah. I mean, it's different every time. Yeah. But you just work backwards from the cost of the venue generally. And do you tend to base in a, this is going to take me this many hours of my time and for it to feel worthwhile, I want to get a certain amount of money for that? Or are you kind of like, oh, that's the like? No, I go more on like market rate. Yeah. Nice. That's interesting because I'm just from a, you know, I've been learning about sort of product development and, you know, the software space, the solopreneur journey, they call it. And yeah, their, their idea of sort of, idea validation before you sort of really start to go to town is is really important though there's other schools of thought where you're just supposed to build a product put it out there Mm. and then just sort of talk to your to your users so i guess is sort of like talk them into it well no no actually like well you know you get a a core group of users and then see how they actually start to use it and then Mm. build build more features from there so yeah just sort of Sorry, a bit of a sidetrack there, but I no, find that interesting. That's good because that's, I mean, that's kind of how I create things and why I'm finding answering your questions really hard because I do create things in a kind of like kinesthetic in real time way. And I do respond to what people want, what works. Yeah. Yeah. What's already out there, what I'm excited by. Yeah, like I feel like I'm one of those people who's very good at like editing and refining. I used to like like a blank piece of paper is like the most scary thing to me ever. And you're yeah, I feel like your questions are a bit too blank page. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I'm trying to have that mindset of someone who like maybe they haven't run an event before. So yeah. it's like, what do I start with? I have this ba- blank page. Like, yeah. do I do my budget first? Do I choose my venue first? Do I yeah. like start reaching out to people and seeing this is something people would be interested in first? Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess, the yeah, there are those two approaches where, or you know, you can sort of have your idea and, and validate, try and get responsive, but you don't really even know until you put it out there. Yeah. So yeah, because it's a living, breathing thing, mm. and then that's when you go back to the idea of like being an artist, and this is my art, mm. and there is no like perfect way to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for a really long time, I've wanted to create like an events made easy little course, and it's just like all the information is there, and then based on where someone's at or the questions that they have, they can like go to the resource. Yeah, it's not a step by step process. It's more like, this is the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) This is my events Bible. Yeah. Yeah, like are there any gems that you could pull out that you've like learnt along the way that you're like, oh, this is a game changer? Yeah, so it's about pacing. So I think one of the reasons that I have a real knack for events is like I'm really good with like pacing and spacing and people. And yeah, like a really simple practical piece of information is People generally can't be present and and dialed in for more than 90 minutes. So my coaching sessions are always 90 minutes. There might be a bit of a buffer either side, but the work happens in that 90 minutes container. And I think where people really trip themselves up is they don't know how to create pacing and timing in an event. Like you could have like a seven-day training, but as long as you're doing it in those like blocks of 90 minutes rather than trying to make things too long because people start to vague out, tap out, get distracted, they max out. 
Yeah, so building things around 90-minute blocks is definitely one of my top tips. And have you come across any, like the flip side of what you just said might be that, any real what not to do's, maybe a lesson you've learned for yourself or something else that you've seen in an event that you went to that was just like, oh, that didn't work for them and that's not going to work for anyone. Like I'm filing that away as another gem of do not do this. Yeah. I think it's about picking your team because events is not just a solo operation. And, you know, even when you look at people like Taylor Swift or Beyonce, like there is literally thousands of people that make that happen. Those shows happen, that career happen, like it's it's not a solo endeavor. So yeah, the it's like about picking your team and just don't work with people that you don't want to work with. <laughs> I guess as well, maybe part of that is knowing when you actually do need to work with someone else, even mm-hmm. if it feels like a little bit more f- scary financially mm-hmm. upfront. Like I know of yoga teachers who've say taught weekend workshops who have tried to do the food and the teaching mm. themselves. Mm. And normally the yoga class is right before the food. So yeah. it was very intense energy-wise. and just meant people have to wait around for yeah. ages. So that would be like a really simple one of like, oh, if you're doing a weekend retreat, you're going to need someone to help you with food yeah. at least. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of, yeah. So one of the pieces that's really important is if you're going to be like in the channel, so if you're the facilitator or the presenter, then yeah, you need someone else like holding the energy, holding the space. Yeah, when I design events or transformational experiences, there's like the transmission, there's the person who's like bringing the magic, bringing the experience, and then there's the container, which is like the space that everyone's in, but also the people that are making all the behind the scenes happen. And then you've got your pathway, which is like the journey that you're wanting to take people on. So yeah, don't try and like be the facilitator and the sage person. I think I saw something else that you did like in a lead up to another event where you're like, always test your technology first. Like you do like a dry run. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was when I had, that was when I did an online event. And so because I was so comfortable with in-person events, I was like, oh, I'm going to nail this. This is going to be fine. And Zoom had actually changed a lot from when I had last used it in a group capacity. And yeah, like I just fumbled so hard, like the sound and the sharing of the screens. And yeah, that was a really good lesson of like, yeah, do a test run. The other thing that I've learned about teaching on Zoom as well is, okay, you've got your own technology that you can struggle with, but it's super hard to help other people Mm. if they're struggling with their technology. Mm. And I think one training course that I saw do this really, really well was the Accessible Yoga online training, and they had a dedicated support person. Mm. So if you were having Zoom Mm. issues, you just message that person Mm. and they could help to sort you out versus trying to talk to the teacher who maybe you can't Mm. hear or something or like they'll have their phone switched off, like you can't get in touch with them that way. So that was a really good example of like, oh, it really makes sense to have another person just to help people with technology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like there's so many different roles in delivering a great experience or a great service. Yeah, another piece of that is like just setting people up with really great welcome emails and welcome letters. So when people do coaching with me, I used to do this as an email and I actually moved it to a video because it meant that we already had a bit of a rapport, but I basically just walk them through like 
make sure you're somewhere quiet. Please be on a computer, not be on your phone. Yeah, like go to the toilet beforehand, like all that really practical setup stuff that if you're used to the transformational space, you already know all that stuff, but people coming into it fresh, they don't know it. And yeah, it's the same with events, like a beautiful little email that's like, you can park here and eat dinner beforehand and bring something warm to wear. And it's just that that nurturing and that support that makes people feel relaxed so that they can really be present for the 90 minutes. I will say as well, no matter how beautifully you write that email, be prepared for people to not read it (laughs) (laughs) and to be late because they didn't know where to park. (laughs) Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a beautiful welcome fairy at the door. So apologies if we've already asked this question, but how have you noticed the coaching industry change since when you began? Yeah, cool. Well, it's, I mean, the the biggest shift that I've seen beyond the way that people market is it's really become about online education. So yeah, a lot of people who, I mean, to me, a coach is someone who facilitates positive change on whatever level. And yes, that can happen through education, but I think that there's a lot of people out there who are just educating. They're just sharing information and knowledge and that doesn't necessarily on its own equal positive change. So yeah, it's just a really busy marketplace now and that's great because it means there's more opportunity for more people and it's so much more mainstream. Like I don't have to explain to my mom anymore, like what a life coach is and, you know, you don't have those really conservative people making fun of you anymore. Like it's it's really normal to talk about your feelings or strive to be better and the industry has provided that. But yeah, I think the major shift is that there's just such a push into, like, I'm going to make up a stat, but it's something like a billion dollars a minute or a billion dollars a day or a billion dollars a year. I don't know which one of those is correct. But yeah, it's, it's, that's, so coaching has really moved into online education. Yeah. One thing I noticed um, when I was working at the separation guide, one of the biggest growth areas we had there was in divorce coaching Mm. so that's yeah that was one of our most popular categories Mm. and so just in case people have no idea is a divorce coach for someone like if you have a really complicated situation you need a lawyer or like is a divorce coach just to help you through the process or is it to help you through the emotions attached to the process both both and I guess there, there were ones that were more Slightly towards the legal end, we had one who was specifically for working with men, and there was he was the divorce cowboy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which yeah. Is, yeah, I know it was pretty funny. And there was uh, a woman who's also a psychologist who actually worked more in high conflict situations. So yeah, no, it's quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good highlight of where the industry's going as well is it's more about like those niches or areas of interest. So it's like, oh, well, we can have a coach now that's specific for di- divorce rather than just this like overarching title of life coach. And I guess that comes back to that other question of like, oh, I wanted to change my life and leave my 
current career that wasn't fulfilling me and become a coach. But I'm finishing the course. I've got no clients. I don't know what to do. You could look back to the industry you're working in before mm. and maybe mm. go back into it with the knowledge that you had and the new knowledge and yep. kind of be more about supporting people versus, you know, whatever you're doing before. Because I know people who like friends of mine who have kind of got to management level and one of the perks is you get an executive coach mm. to help you through yeah. navigating yeah. that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think one of the other things about the industry that's different now is there's a lot of people kind of in the industry supporting different parts of the coaching journey. So, yeah, maybe they're helping you with your social media or maybe they're like a business coach or maybe they're going to do your graphics or maybe they are like a deep emotional support person. Like it's there's so many different pieces of the journey now. I think that can be really positive, but I think I can also see that as being a little bit of a pyramid kind of a situation. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, like that was one of the things I used to say when I was going through my cynical phase <laughs> is like, and like I left, like in 2018, like there was a few kind of messy things that happened in my professional life and I just left. I was like, oh, this, I'm done with this. And yeah, I used to say it's like a, it's a pyramid scheme, like coaching is a pyramid scheme because it's coaches, coaching coaches, coaching coaches, coaching coaches. And that is still happening. But I think it's just at, once I stepped back and took a few years out and then returned through this filter of like, well, it's just my art form and I'm an artist and I'm a creative and this is what I love to do and I know I'm good at it and I know I'm helping people. So I'm just going to let all that other stuff go. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, my business is this size, so rather than yeah. hiring someone expensive to make yeah. it grow to this size, yeah. I'm just going to get yeah. income from something else. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's a lot of behind-the-scenes talk and it's sort of there's a few people out there saying this publicly, but just because a business is like a million dollars a year or a million dollars a month or, you know, all these crazy numbers, there's so much money required to create that result because you've got your ads and you've got your team and you've got like there's just so much financial input to create the revenue. So it's not actually, oh, that's what our profit is. It's like, oh, that's just how much we make each month to keep this machine moving. Yeah, and I know that you've seen businesses that outwardly looked really successful and were big but because they were on that kind of growth mindset, yeah. build the team, rent this expensive place, like one bad month and it just all falls yeah. over. Yeah. And that's just business in general. Like that's not unique to the coaching space. Like that's just the realities of business and it gets exciting and you're making sales and you're on the crest of the wave and you just grow, grow, grow. And there's, unless you're building structures underneath you, it's going to crash. Yeah. And I feel like that growth mindset in some ways is positive and in some ways is like a really toxic part of capitalism because our planet can't sustain continual mm. growth. And you as one person can't sustain continual growth. Like mm. you will definitely reach a point where, you know, you just can't keep growing at that rate because that's just not how life works. Like, mm. you know, it's like you're talking before, like there'll be a peak yeah. and then there'll be a trough. And I guess as you grow as a business, part of that is giving yourself a bigger buffer mm -hmm. should you have a bad month or a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And that's just financial education. That's just being healthy around your finances. 
And yeah, it is about seeing it as being cyclic and that real like progress, that like progress no matter what, like yes, it's capitalism and it's also how we're educated. Like our schooling system is like progress and grow, progress and grow, progress and grow. And then after 12 years of that, like of course it's going to feel natural that, oh, the way to succeed is just to keep growing and getting better. But yeah, I think we're slowly like breaking out of that mindset and the return to the feminine and the return to caring about the earth and yeah, just seeing that everything does go in cycles and you're going to have your summer in your business and you're going to have your winter. Nice. Well, I guess we've probably touched on a lot of these points already, but if you could distill <laughs> everything down to one core essence of everything that you've learned and everything that you love to share with the world, what, what do you think that oh one God, thing would be? so daunting. <laughs> just condense 45 years into one or two buzzwords. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I have this kind of philosophy that I'm really interested and excited about at the moment, which is like what I'm calling my four favorite life hacks, which is really about learning how to feel, learning how to think, learning how to take inspired action, and then learning how to surrender to the mystery. And like, I feel really happy that I've progressed through all of that and I'm mostly able to hang out in the mystery now and really see my life as a miracle or a piece of art or like a day at the carnival. So, yeah, fun, creativity, connection and magic. Nice, nice, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's yeah, been Thanks great. for everything you've shared. Yeah. yeah, thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Oh, my gosh, and thank you for bringing us cake. Oh. <laughs> That is also part of my life philosophy, to bring cake. Yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Chloe. We'll include a link to her upcoming Sober Singles event, Love Club, in our show notes. For more content and updates, you can find me on Instagram as Run Loves Yoga, and Joe can be found at Garden of Yoga. We love connecting with our listeners, so don't hesitate to reach out and share your thoughts. We'd like to express our gratitude to Ghost Soul for generously granting us permission to use their track, Baby Robots, as our theme song. Be sure to check out ghostsoul.bandcamp.com to discover more of their awesome music. A special shout-out goes to our Patreon supporters. Your continued support means the world to us, and we are incredibly grateful. By joining our Patreon club for as little as $1 US a month, you can help us cover the cost of editing and producing the podcast. If Patreon isn't your thing, there are other ways you can support us. Simply sharing this episode on social media, subscribing to us on platforms like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or even just reaching out to let us know your thoughts and feedback means the world to us. Once again, thank you for spending your precious time with us. We appreciate you more than words can ever express. He aroha nui mawa kia koutou katoa, sending you big, big love. <laughs>